Welcome to Practically Healthy by Dr. Molina, where each week I interview a guest, whether it be a celebrity, an athlete, an influencer, an amazing chef, a personal trainer, a nutritionist. And I talk to them about the practical ways that we can implement some of the things that we all know we should do, but we don't always do. My guest today is somebody who I've known for a long, long, long time. Um, we can't even figure out how long we were trying to figure it out, but um, Chef Devin Alexander is one of my favorite people and we really have gotten to know each other over the years and um, she is everything that I'm not. So uh, in fact, wait, before we even get started, I just have to tell our audience the funny story about, because Devin does a ton of media. She's written like a million best-selling cookbooks. What, you've sold over a million, Devin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll talk about all the other fun stuff that she did, but she called me once. It was probably about eight years ago. And she's like, please don't be offended, but- <laughs> I was asked to do this show called America's Worst Cooks, and I'm supposed to find somebody to mentor. And I thought maybe you would be a good person that I was like, I'm like, what makes you say that? Just because I had to call my mother to ask her how to boil an egg. Like, you know, I'm not sure why you would think I would be a candidate for this show, but needless to say, the show never happened. But Devin and I have done a ton of stuff together. I think we first met on Larry King. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Doing a uh, CNN fit nation. Oh, CNN fit nation. Right. Because amongst that, I'm going to let Devin tell you everything that she's done, but I mean, one of she and I both did our own show when we were young, little babes for, um, fit TV, which was owned by discovery channel. Uh, and what was the name of your show, Devin? Mine was called healthy decadence with Devin Alexander. Healthy Decadence with Devin Alexander. And that led to a whole slew of books. And she became the official chef of The Biggest Loser. And you did how many books with them? Five. Five books with them. And you did dinners with them. And you were really an integral part of the show. And and that led to a lot of different things. So let's let's start with the beginning, Devin, because I think with you, you'll you'll say this all the time when I've heard you speak is it's important to know your background and how you came to this. So tell us a little bit about that story. Well, I weighed 200 pounds as a 15 year old. I credit my two Italian grandmothers for teaching me how to cook and getting me fat um, or teaching me how to get fat, really. Um, the truth is, like, I food was so big a part of my heritage. And back then, I'm a little older than some, um, there weren't role models like Biggest Loser sh- showing people that you can transform. So I really thought that I was big boned and all sorts of other things because. Most of my family is a little like thicker, I guess. Um, fortunately, nobody's obese, but it, it just, I don't know. It wasn't something that came naturally to me. My father's side is the heavier side. My mother's side is the thinner side. And I have a sister who's always been skinny that they called long, tall salad while I weighed 200 pounds in high school, which was a, a really tough thing. And I realized though, that if you cut just a hundred calories from your diet on average, you lose 10 pounds in a year. And that was the part for me that like changed everything because to this day, the level of anxiety I get when someone even suggests that I might try their new diet is like ridiculous. I have no willpower whatsoever. And when I believe that I have to cut out any category at all, it just creates a panic. And then on the flip side, I'm so creative with food 
And that if people give you a diet where there's like carob powder and honey and you're just eating natural stuff, I managed to turn that into something incredibly decadent and way too fattening that you overindulge in. So um, my whole career really has been based on instead of people extracting things from their diet, adding things that they love and really focusing on their cravings. So how, so you lost the weight over what period of time and, and really just cutting a hundred calories a day or so it took you. No, I was cutting more than a hundred, but it was just that principle that allowed me to be like, oh, I can cut a hundred. I can't give up everything I love. And so I transformed my Italian favorites. And then I just started working. Like I was obsessed with chicken Parmesan as a kid, whether we went to Burger King or a nice restaurant, that's what I wanted to eat. So as a 15 year old, the simple thing I did was just grill the chicken breast and still put the sauce and the full fat cheese. And right there, like taking away the breading, as you know, and the deep fry cuts out like 300 calories in like one meal. So it's those kind of things that I was like, well, as long as I get the, the sauce and the gooey cheese, it's delicious. And I love it. And so that, as I said, has kind of been the principle. And then, so that took me from the time I was like 15 till 21, I lost probably like 40 to 50 pounds. And then the next 25 took a little bit longer. Um, but I went through a period of being like way too thin in my late twenties and honestly ended up in Overeaters Anonymous. I also had an eating disorder of like doing, um, laxatives briefly in college when everybody looked better than I did. Um, so I've definitely run the gamut, but I can proudly say from the time I was 27 until, which was a while ago. Um, no, but there was a good 20, almost 20 year period until I got in a serious accident that I was the exact same weight and, um, a size four and like super proud of that. And then the accident made it harder for me to work out. So I've maybe gained, you know, five to 10, give, depending what day, but even that for the level of not working out that I can do now, I'm proud of. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a wonderful journey. So then what made you decide to become a chef and did you always intend on being a healthy chef, a healthy decadent chef? I actually never intended to be a chef at all. I went to Smith college and then was recruited by the television Academy for a script I'd written in college. And part of my impetus to lose the weight was that I wanted to be an actress too. And I did actually do some television and film, um, which I don't even know if you know, Melina. I did not um, know. I, lo <laughs> I love this podcast because I get to learn even more about my friends. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. There's a makeout scene in a movie called Ed Gein that um, I'm in a cemetery making out with my boyfriend um, before the chainsaw massacre guy like comes and hacks people up. And we're going to um, have, we're going to have to look this up folks, and we're going to have it like on the Instagram. We have to find this scene. I I'm dying to see it now, but that's awesome. Um, and I was on a show like Fox hidden cameras attack, but I, I always loved performing and I always loved, um, cooking. And I actually, um, fell into owning a catering business when I moved to LA, but I realized like around the time that I finally got sanity with food, that the part that I loved was really showing people how they too could, you know, like catering, you're staying up all night. And it was just, when you own a business like that, you're not really the creative as much, like if you're going to thrive in the business. And so that wasn't really working. And I said, I 
call it my premature midlife crisis at 27. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go after helping people like on television and created this fake demo reel, which back, you know, today, everybody can just pick up their iPhone and make a demo reel. Back then it was a little bit different, but everybody kept saying you need TV to get on TV. So I pretended that I had TV to get on TV and, um, and it worked. And I wound up on Good Morning America, um, like, randomly two days before New Year's Eve, a producer called and was like, can you be in New York and do this? We need someone to fill in. And I was like, uh, yeah. And that's that awesome. started it all. <laughs> I know it's, it, it's funny how everybody started. So then the TV show that you did with fit TV, what was that? You just every, what was every week about? I never got to see it, but it, it, it was basically like Rachel Ray, 30 minute meals, but not 30 minutes. It was just, you know, my grandmother's favorites made over and my favorites made over, but just really decadent dishes that you think you can't eat from crab cakes to pizza to, you know, like yummy breakfast smoothie, like bowls and things like that. And back then, I mean, this was a while ago. Cause we're, we were on it about the same time. Were you just focused on calories or were you focused on quality of food, clean, or, or has your, has your philosophy evolved? It has really evolved. I think, I mean, and honestly, that's a little bit of the embarrassing part of my career now is we all thought it was like, as long as it was low calorie, low fat, like white, this garbage sugar, that was okay. And, um, and I mean, even the biggest loser cookbooks evolved because in the first ones, like the sodium was out of control, like for the first biggest loser cookbook contestants were giving me like their favorite recipes. And then I was tweaking them and they seriously were like Splenda and all sorts of things. And then by the third book, they wanted to go so all natural that I like had to fight for coconut sugar and agave nectar well before coconut sugar, like before coconut sugar was mainstream. Um, this was back probably 2010 maybe. And I'm like, you want me to write an entire dessert book with no crystal sugar whatsoever? That's impossible. You know, like you need sprinkle stuff. So I fought for coconut sugar, given the low glycemic index, we got that approved by our friend, Dr. Danzinger. Um, <laughs> Dr. Danzinger, by the way, right. Is it Tufts, which is my alma mater for med school. So we, we figured out, we had a mutual friend recently that, uh, and he's a brilliant guy and I love, and does a lot of great work in like heart disease and diabetes and nutrition. He's been, so he's a great, and he was the doctor for the biggest loser. So that was uh, kind of a small world, but yeah. so you, you, so it, that's, it's so interesting to me too. So I found your book, Fast Food Fix, which is kind of cool. Like looking through it, I actually hadn't looked through the table of contents. And I mean, this is like the real deal. So, I mean, I still, you have everything in here. You, uh, you know, in and out, you have fish, fish stuff. You have cinnamon roll. I can't even, a Cinnabon, seriously. But I guess it's better for you. I mean, maybe it's not perfect. I don't think you should be embarrassed because certainly calories still count. I think one of the biggest mistakes that I see with my patients is they think it's all natural and it's organic and this and that. So I can have as much as I want. So, and frankly, there's just some times where you can't like cheat the real thing. So I love that in this book, I mean, you've got everything you've got Taco Bell, you've got Chick-fil-A, you've got um, so what are, what are some of your favorites that you still make from fast food fix? 
So the Big Mac from that book has gotten more press than I maybe any dish ever. <laughs> like seriously, Star Jones on the View said it tastes better than McDonald's. McDonald's even told people to come to me for their secret sauce recipe, which was wacky. Um, and Aspen Food and Wine said it was the food to try at one of the shows. So I'm really proud of that. I served it on the restaurants um, in restaurants I had on Royal Caribbean Cruise Line. Um, so yeah, that's definitely one to try like the sauce itself. And I do have sections in there that are called even better. Like you don't really need three pieces of bun with, um, you know, three ounces of beef total is all that's in the Big Mac. So when I make it, I do more, um, like I use extra lean ground beef. I actually do a four ounce patty. I only do like one bun, not the extra piece of bun, but the sauce and the, I, I will say I do occasionally when I'm eating that cheat and get the yucky craft cheese, <laughs> you know, that you shouldn't, I mean, it's chemicalized. That's like one of the few every once in a blue moon. Cause it really, if you do that, it tastes dead on. You can even use the whole wheat bun and everything else, but um, and then the other one that I'm insanely proud of that you can, you know, update with not only using white flour is the Cinnabon, like it dead on tastes like it. And if you try it next to it, it's so dead on tastes like it. And then you taste an aftertaste in the real one, according to like every news anchor. Okay. So um, wait, do we find both of those in fast food fix or can people find yes, them? Yes. And you can find them just by searching my name and they're probably both on my website, which is devinalexander.com. Okay. Maybe I'll, I'll convince you to let me share them with the audience. Cause those both. Oh yeah. No, you delicious. can totally, you can totally I mean, share them. I'm not a big Mac person, but now I really want to try this. I mean, it sounds amazing. So, so what are, um, so let's talk a little bit about the biggest loser because, you know, I know you were really involved with this show and you got to know a lot of the contestants. I mean, you know, as a nutrition weight loss expert, I have mixed feelings about this show because on some level it was very motivating to people and it was people like them, people that were, I mean, sometimes the journey, like I can't even imagine what it's like to think about having to lose 150 to 200 pounds. Like that's just such a big mountain to climb. So it was inspiring. But on the other hand, the way they did it is so unrealistic. And I had so many patients over the years come in and say, well, I saw Sally lose 20 pounds last week. And you're telling me I should be happy with a pound and a half. Like what? WTF, you know? So, I mean, how was it really with the contest? Obviously you're probably, you know, you can't necessarily say anything bad, but how was it with the contestants and have you kept in touch with them? Because there's been a lot of highly publicized weight regain as well. And that must've been just devastating for them. So do you stay in touch with them? I do. Some of my closest friends are contestants. Like they really will forever be in my life. Um, I honestly agree with you. Like, I think we have to look at the show as entertainment and television is the bottom line. So people go on Survivor, they don't brush their teeth for a month. It's the same thing, you know, like that is not good. People come back from that show with liver problems and all sorts of things. Um, 
But because Biggest Loser is a weight loss show, like sometimes people forget. And I've always said that I think the contestants, believe it or not, as much as people are dying to get on the show thinking that's what's going to do it for them, I think the contestants are the sacrificial lambs to show us all that it's not just metabolism. It really is something that you can embrace and take hold of. And again, with social media now, with so many people like sharing their stories online, I think we do have those messages. When I was 15 sitting on a sofa unmotivated and like Richard Simmons was my only role model. It was a little different to like, believe that a girl like me could do it. Um, but no, I mean, it's brutal for the contestants because they are doing things like it's a game. They're playing a game. Um, but I will say like the exciting part and part of what had me go on to do a lot in the diabetes space and write a book for the diabetes space is we did put people's diabetes in remission in the short time. And I will also say that one of the things I loved and it was I would go to the Biggest Loser Resorts. And so right now in my life, I wish I could go to a Biggest Loser Resort. You go for like one week, you work out seven hours a day. I know that sounds like hell, but it's actually like super indulgent. And it taught me that I actually enjoy working out because, and it wouldn't do that for everyone, but I was being paid to go to these resorts and hike and, you know, these beautiful three hour hikes and then do... I mean, have my food served to me that was amazing food. And I'm like, oh my God, it's not like I don't like working out. I don't like taking the time. And then before I really found tennis, um, I would get on a treadmill and like, it would feel like torture. So it wasn't enjoyable. I wasn't getting paid to do it. It was taking away time in my life. And so my biggest tip for people on that front is when you're starting a new routine, like try to do it more for a short stint, because then you can, when I come home from that seven hours a day for a week, believe it or not, like I would lose three to four percentage of body fat. You're not really affecting your metabolism. Like if you do that all the time, like you can't maintain it and whatever, but if you go with that goal and then you come back and you work out for 45 minutes and it feels like, wow, that was easy. Even if you weren't in great shape to begin with. So it really kickstarted me. And as I said, in my life right now, like I would love it if I could do that, but I'm, you know, a solo mom running a business and with a four-year-old, it's not really going to happen. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's, it, it is, you know, I, I love the fact that you transitioned into diabetes management, because I think, you know, that is something, and, and we can get into this whole debate too, because a lot of people, including the medical community still view obesity as, as a, as a moral issue and a willpower. And, and there's just, you know, for people that aren't like me, that aren't specialists that haven't been studying this as a field for 20 years, like it's so complex, but for many people, even for people who struggle with their weight, it's more of a vanity issue, but for diabetics, it's a, it's a health and it's a life or death issue and it's kidneys, heart disease, blindness, limb loss. So tell us a little bit about how that happened and kind of what I, I assume that the quality of the diet when you started doing it for diabetes had to be a factor as much, but, but, and this is something that they have to do for life, really, if they're going to maintain their diabetes and remission. So what are some tips that you have from the book for those who may have to, I mean, listen, 30% of the country is pre-diabetic and doesn't even know it, you know, and it's, it's huge. I, so many patients I see 
um, even women as we get older, because of changes in hormones, we essentially become pre-diabetic. Many of us have borderline blood sugar levels. Um, so what are some of your uh, favorite tips? I actually saw one on your website that sounded unbelievable. Parmesan garlic squash fries. I'm like, but you know me, I'm like the laziest cook on the planet. So give us, give us some diabetes tips and let's make them as, uh, as easy, dumb it down as much as possible for me. Okay, Devin. <laughs> well, first of all, if you buy the pre-cut fries, which we can get locally at Trader Joe's, it's the easiest recipe ever. Like you have to chop a little parsley and even you could skip that <laughs> to no, be no, honest. No. Parsley's, so, good. parsley's good. You know, I love herbs and spices. I know, but I mean, like it's, it's actually not nearly as hard It's cutting the butternut squash. I'll give you, you don't want to do that, but just buy it, buy a pre-done. Um, but you know, so it's interesting that has also been a journey because American Diabetes Association has really hardcore numbers. Um, and then there was all this research that you probably know that was done out of Israel, um, by this company called day two that I got to align with. And with day two, you send in a stool sample, they analyze your individual gut microbiome. And there's a lot of stuff like Ted talks on this, um, that as it turns out, not, there's not one answer for everyone. So part of the reason that I loved working with that company is I learned that I am actually resistant to beans um, and a lot of legumes, which is so interesting because I've never liked them. And I was choking down bean pasta and it turns out that wheat pasta for my body doesn't have that much of a difference in effect of um, like to my blood sugar, granted calories and all that is a little different. But on the flip side, I learned that chocolate peanut butter is one of the most magical combinations for my body. Um, so like my body just processes that and it doesn't have nearly as much difficulty processing sugar as it does processing rice or beans. Um, which again is so interesting because going back to your squash fries, According to me putting my foods in the app, it's actually better for me to put more cheese and more oil on those fries than just to eat the squash with the minimal amount. So that's one thing that was really freeing. And in working with some of the people who were part of the day two test group, like they were told by their doctors that they couldn't have anything. Like if it tastes good, don't eat it. And I think a lot of doctors, I mean, Melina, you probably, I think we were on a panel together where at USC many years ago with Larry King, where, um, and our friend who was just on your podcast, um, his name, he was just Arlie? on your, Sugar Proof, Sugar Proof. Oh, uh, yeah. Dr. Uh, Gorin. Yeah. So the three of us were all on the same panel many, many years ago. And um, it's, you know, it, it's so interesting how things affect people in different ways. So, but one of the things that was said in that panel was that doctors only get one hour of nutrition education in their entire programs. So they feel safer to tell people not to eat the good stuff. And what I do is work with doctors and with nutritionists to, you know, this is what you should, you know, somebody says, this is what you can't eat. This is what you shouldn't be eating. And then I teach you how to create flavors that you love. So there was a woman who was just full of life, so amazing, who had been on the day two program for a while. And she was like, yeah, I, I wasted my kids years sitting on a sofa. And she's like, I just thought I could eat nothing. And then I showed her how to make a chocolate cake and a pizza from an almond flour tortilla that actually supported her blood sugar, that helped her lose weight and all sorts of things. So 
it, I think it's so much about like finding the right program for you and getting to know your individual body is what I've learned. And like, I feel so much like for, for the first time in my life, which happened a few years ago, like when I eat chocolate peanut butter, I'm like, rock on, this is great. Like zero guilt, um, which is actually another one of my tips. Like if you're eating something and I mean, I promise myself, like if I'm eating something I shouldn't, which I don't believe in, but if it's something more indulgent, I'm like, I love this. I deserve it. Like I manifest it in a positive way instead of going, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do this. Cause one, you're not enjoying it. And two, your body, I think senses that. So well, also, yeah. And then you're more likely to not get pleasure from it and then feel guilty and then go down another rabbit hole of indulging in even more things and worse things. So for sure. I mean, that's, that's not to put a moral value on food, I think is great. I want to bring up one point because you talked a lot about day two and I just want to under our listeners to understand, because I think this is, it's very interesting technology and I've done the test myself. I, I will tell you that for the average person, basic nutrition principles apply trumps everything. So you can know everything about your DNA. You can know everything about your microbiome, but the basic principles of, of having fat with any carbohydrate, having lean protein to stabilize blood sugar, having high fiber foods, those apply to everybody. So you don't necessarily need a test to tell you that. I mean, I, I had a very different experience with the test because it, it told me some foods that it just was ridiculous that, and, and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to listen to this. This doesn't make sense to me. Um, but I do think that the basic principles, which are probably what you integrate into the diabetes, uh, cookbook, but I do think I, it, it is one of the things that I love most about what you do, Devin, is that people think that to go on a diet or to lose weight, they have to have boiled chicken and steamed broccoli and that it has, and that was my fascination with herbs and spices, even though I don't cook, I understood that, you know, not only could they amplify the health value, but also the flavor. So, and I didn't realize you did, um, I have a couple more things I want to talk about. We don't have that much time, but, um, I didn't realize you did a flavors of the world cookbook for the biggest loser. So were you using a lot of herbs and spices in that? Were you like ahead of me in the herbs and spices game? <laughs> oh, I mean, I've always used a ton of herbs and spices. You have to, because otherwise things don't have flavor. And honestly, like sometimes when people write Amazon reviews, they'll be like, oh, I took out the cumin because I don't like it. Or I took out something. And then they say that the food wasn't very good. And I'm like, but that's the flavor. Like that's how you mask the fact that you don't have a cup of oil in there, you know? So it's interesting because I mean, yes, I rely. I mean, I told you like with the butternut squash, like you, I mean, that has um, paprika. It has cayenne. It has garlic. It has um, parsley right parsley and and then the parmesan cheese and the squash and olive oil and so yeah like those things i mean make a huge difference it's just you know that's yeah like that's how you do it so i saw on your website too that you're um so are there's a lot of herb and spice filled recipes specifically in that book or in all the books in I all the, i mean honestly in all like even in fast food fix there's like i was going online to re-engineer them and read what spices were in the 
Um, like I make the Arby's curly fries and they really do taste like it. And I got a little help from their website and ingredient list to be like, oh, that was that and that and that. And then you keep playing with those combos and that's how I get it. So oh my God, I love curly fries. I have to, maybe you can make those for me sometime or do the fries come pre-cut too? Cause then maybe I can do it. <laughs> um, so wait, with the quick and easy one though, how quick and easy are the recipes really? Cause that's my thing. And I think that's what a lot of people, um, it's a time thing. Like, and, and I think one of the good things in the grocery store is there are more like pre-cut vegetables because the prepping can take like 30 minutes, which, you know, so what are, I saw that you do, you do, you're doing coaching and that you have one success story. You had a salesman that lost 140 pounds, a traveling salesman who didn't cook. So tell us about that. Like, what are some of the things that really, you know, me, I'm cooking challenge to say the least. I'm obsessed with herbs and spices. I'm not sure quite how to combine them correctly. So what did you do for him? And what would you recommend for somebody who was cooking challenged? We'll put it nicely. Um, well, fortunately he had income, like some people, I will admit this is a little harder in middle America. If you're, if you don't have the ability to order room service, um, you know, and cause it's more expensive in general, but just to your point, it's like getting vegetables, lean protein, um, the salad dressings being creative with. So like get salsa and lime juice and olive oil um, instead of, which makes an amazing salad dressing instead of um, like the, the actual salad dressing that's a million calories, but it puts all those spices and flavor, you know, that's in the salsa and the lime juice. Wow. Wait, um, hold on. This is good. I, I'm going to try this because usually I just use salsa. I'm figured, oh, that's good. But salsa and lime juice. lime juice and a little bit of olive oil will make an amazing dressing. Wow. And you could even boost it with a little extra cilantro, huh? Look at extra me. cilantro. You can boost it with a little like, uh, like vodka. <laughs> well, vodka. I don't know if I don't want vodka no, 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 salad, no. but I was going to say, um, yogurt. I was almost going to say a brand name, but fat-free protein, you know, protein filled yogurt makes a creamy dressing. So there's wow. a ton of stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, just with him, he was ordering shrimp cocktail everywhere he went. And I think one of the traps that people fall into is they eat that bland food and they think, oh, I'll do this, you know, forever. Like this is my safe food. And I had to wrestle him to not eat the same thing all the time, because while shrimp cocktail is great, you may be able to do that for a month or a year or two years, but you're not going to be able to do it 20 years later. Um, so it's just thinking ahead. And then, um, like I do a lot of egg white omelets, but then I add a little bit of cheese to them so that, you know, I, I realize that egg yolks, there's a lot of debate on that. And I know egg yolks are good for you. I don't personally enjoy them. So when I go out, I just wrestle the chef not to put a lot of oil in the pan, whether you're getting the whole eggs or the egg whites, like put veggies in there, but also put a little bit of goat cheese or something, you know, that's, and then to your point, the herbs like tarragon, goat cheese, omelets are like the best thing ever. It feels Ooh. like you're in a cafe in France. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I always struggle with tarragon. So that's a good one. Cause I just, I actually, and the goat cheese too, I put a lot of oregano in my eggs um, just for, and this brings for my kids, I was going to say, but this brings me, this is, I want to talk to you a little bit about this because we've known each other for, we've known each other from when we were both single with no kids. We have gone on a lot of walks on the beach, 
talking about our lives and our dreams and, and, um, and uh, my uh, jump into motherhood happened a little more abruptly than yours did uh, <laughs> without being planned. But so you're a mom now and you have a beautiful four-year-old daughter that you adopted through the foster system. And I know you're very active in that and we could talk about that, but you're a big advocate for the foster system, which I applaud. But let's talk about how things have changed with you as a busy working mom, a busy solo working mom. There's gotta be some things that have changed and and how have you managed that? Because I know there's a lot of moms listening to this that, you know, I hear it all the time. I don't want to cook two meals for my kids. And, and then if the pizza's there, I'm going to eat it. And what, I'm just going to sit and eat a salad and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And also the kids. I mean, a lot of kids are coming out of COVID, uh, having, you know, gained the COVID-15 that you talk about. I, I call it the COVID-19 because people have actually gained uh, closer to 19 pounds in a lot of cases. But so how has... How has your regimen changed as a busy mom and, and what's your, what's your best tips for busy moms who, you know, really want to do right by their kids and themselves? Okay. So this is a 10 hour conversation that actually had me accidentally start a platform called fit mom, fit kids, because I believe there's a ton of platforms for moms and there's a ton of platforms for kids. But to your point, we don't know how to do it as a society where you're cooking for your kids. So for instance, one of my fit mom, fit kids recipes um, that I do with my daughter is I love tacos. So I make myself like a taco with a beautiful slaw um, with fish, which my daughter will eat, believe it or not. And a lot of that is just constant exposure and telling them they can't have things I've found. I mean, I seriously run so many tricks on my daughter. Um, everything from, we get a box of produce every week from Melissa's produce and it's like Christmas. And if you're a mom who's buying the same four fruits or vegetables and wondering why your kids aren't eating them, it goes back to that whole shrimp cocktail thing. They're bored. And so if you bring something in and be like, like for instance, pomegranate arls, I'm like, I got these special jelly beans and my daughter like gobbles them up out of the packages, you know, and I know not everybody can afford the super premium produce, but just go, you know, try to go to a farmer's market and try as much as you can try to really change stuff up. Make sure you're tasting before your kids are, because you know how sometimes the peaches are disgusting and mushy. Don't feed that to your child. They're going to think peaches are disgusting and mushy when there's other times where I could like, I wish I could eat 40 peaches, you know? Um, and then also with, like, as I said, the vegetables, I mean, I am actually coming out with a book in September that's going to empower kids to want to eat vegetables in a way I can't tell you exactly how yet, but my daughter like actually runs into school quickly. Um, and it has to do with vegetables. Um, and I think just keeping as much sugar out of your child's diet, which is so, so hard. And I should say that my daughter is insanely picky, but nobody believes she, like I've gotten to points where I'm like, for instance, I make myself this like shrimp bowl with, I sometimes put rice in it. Sometimes I just do a bowl of salad and she loves rice, but she was hating shrimp all of a sudden out of nowhere. But I know she likes the flavor, it was the texture. So I was chopping up the shrimp as small as, um, at the point where I, like every other mom, wanted to just turn to chicken nuggets. 
chopping up the shrimp as small as rice, adding mango, which she loves, adding avocado, which she loves, a little bit of olive oil and lime juice and giving her a bowl. And I swear I was at my wits end and she takes one bite and I'm like, please, please, please God. And she looks at me and she's like, mommy, this is perfect for me. So it's just a matter of trying different things, which I know is exhausting, especially since it's exhausting for me um, when I have that brain. But I hope people will come on the journey with me because I'm going to be doing a course for parents. Um, also, I make apple pies by literally just chopping up apples. Like my daughter really believes these are apple pies. Chopping up apples really small, just keep baking them, smushing them down, smushing them down. And then when they're caramelized, like an apple pie, you stick them in phyllo cups and throw them in the oven and you get these tiny little apple pies. Oh, and put cinnamon in it. But that's it. No sugar, no nothing. And they taste like apple pies. So it's stuff like that, that I hope people will follow that. I have it on Instagram. I'm just starting there. I'm just starting that page on TikTok. And then devinalexander.com has my more adult themed, but. That's, I mean, uh, when you, it's crazy when you talk, I'm like inspired. I mean, I don't know how long it'll last, but I mean, you saying shrimp with mango and avocado. And I'm like, God, that sounds like so gourmet and not that hard. I mean, I think you just, you just have to get in the habit of it, but I want to just touch on a few things and then we have to wrap up, unfortunately, but maybe we'll, we have to get together and do some cooking videos together because I like, really, I, I want to learn. I really do. I swear. I know when well, I, and you can, and this is the problem with us living far across the city because you would have learned by now. I like know. you would have, my friends learned, my friend's husbands love me because I taught all their, like, literally my friends will be like, it looks like you did this and dinner was made. And then they learn how to do this. Yeah. But as I said, it's chopping apples, throwing it in the oven and making these pies. It's chopping stuff up. Really yummy. But I will, I tell you the one thing I invented and maybe you'll try this. Cause I did one year when I was on live with Kelly, when it was with Michael Strahan and I did a faux ricotta cheesecake and I made the crust and it was just almond flour and butter. And I just pushed it into cups and you could put the little so that it's more, uh, cause it was really delicious. I didn't even put any sugar or anything in it, but so I did, that was my, maybe we'll try to combine resources too. But what I was going to say about the produce, cause I think you brought up some really important things in terms of, um, you know, giving kids exposure to more, you know, they don't have to, there's these boxes. You can get a box of produce, like of the, like, ugly, not so glamorous looking, um, you know, which is a great way to try new things. So you don't have to feel guilty about, you know, spending a lot when you're not going to eat it. Plus buying things in season. I mean, I wrote a book about seasonal eating because things are going to be fresher, more delicious, more nutrient dense, and more cost efficient if you buy things in season. So taking a little time to actually understand what's in season, particularly for fruit, it's, you know, strawberry season now, and they're amazing and so much cheaper. So even though we live in a global world, you can get anything anytime, but there's a lot of way. And it was, it's funny to what you say, because my six-year-old somehow, or now he's seven, discovered dragon fruit. And I, I mean, I didn't even know what a cut it. I'm like, okay, what is, he's like, well, let's get this mommy. I'm like, okay. I'm already supposed to bite. I'm have to like Google how to eat dragon fruit, but now he like loves it. And I never would have thought of it or like kiwi or making it fun. Um, and I also saw by the way on, you know, we follow, we, because we stay in touch on social, but I saw your, 
the beautiful fruit platter that you did for the birthday party, the oh. rainbow fruit. And I'm, I mean, I love, ra- I'd be like, I would want to eat that. That's so much prettier. So I think making it that way too, so much of what you do um, is really practical, I think. So let's- Well, can I, can I say one more thing? That's yes. another tip for moms and kids. Like if you have um, all the veggies chopped up and you stick it on the counter when they walk in the door, like my daughter will just start eating it. And sometimes she'll even say no and she'll just start eating it if she's hungry. And that's the thing. It's like putting it visible, making that's what's most accessible both to you and them. And I made the mistake during pandemic of going, oh, I don't need to prep because I'm home all day. But it, it's the opposite. You use 20 cutting boards if you're doing it every single time you want to sit down to have fruit or vegetables. And so do it. And if anybody needs to follow like what's in season and all the different stuff, go to melissasproduce.com. Oh, they have a good- they, Or their Instagram, like they're constantly like, this is the best stuff this month. Oh, that's cute. I'm gonna have to follow them on Instagram as soon. Okay, so we finish up. This is, I try to do this already. What's your one- best practical because the podcast is called practically healthy and everything that you do is perfectly in line with that but do you have one practical thing that you you live by that you swear by that's really been a game changer for you I mean it really is taking the time to prep and do it with like when my daughter was a baby and I didn't want to stick her in front of the TV as I know a lot of parents feel they have to while they're cooking dinner I literally pretended that she was an audience for a cooking show And so not only did she get an incredible love for cooking for that, I also let her sit on the kitchen counter, but we cook together all the time. We do our meal prep together. It's like a thing and she picks it stuff while we do it. So it really will not only save you time and become this amazing bonding experience, you're setting up your kids for a healthy lifestyle. I love it. I love it. Devin, this has been so much fun. Again, where can Devin, uh, where can Devin, where can people go to learn more about you? DevinAlexander.com, which is D-E-V-I-N, plus I'm Devin Alexander on Instagram, Pinterest, all the channels, and then also Fit Mom, Fit Kids on TikTok and and coming everywhere. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really, I really am inspired. I mean, just how you talk about how simply you make stuff so delicious. It makes me think that I just, I have to put in a little bit more effort. And now that COVID's over, maybe we'll do a little cooking together too. And you can give me some pointers. And if we do that, I am going to record them so that my audience can benefit from it too. So thank you again. You've been here listening to Devin Alexander. This is the Practically Healthy by Dr. Melina podcast. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, comment, tell your friends. And if you have ideas for great guests like Devin, shoot me a message through Instagram or go to my website, drmelina.com and shoot me an email. I love to hear from you. This show is for you and I want to make sure you get the most out of it. Have a healthy day.